we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to the universe next door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. This show is a ministry of the C.S. Lewis Society and supported by gifts of listeners just like you. Join us as we seek to see a generation captivated and transformed by the truth of Christianity. This is the universe next door. This is the second part of our new series brought on a man who has brilliantly took all of these different areas and used them uh, to explain why Darwinism is not sufficient. And so we're going to get into the impact and influence Darwinism has had on racism, uh, the impact it's had on Hitler and the Holocaust, on morality and logic in general, on all these different areas that we seem to take for granted. And this has been one of my favorite interviews to have been a part of, mainly because we really get into the implications of Darwinism, not just the theory itself, uh, not just why it can't hold up scientifically, which we're going to get to continue to get to later in this series, but really we got into why it's such a bad idea and why it doesn't make sense on so many levels. And so I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And this would be a great episode to share with a friend, especially somebody who believes in the Darwinian theory of evolution, or even somebody who doesn't and wants to be more educated about it, which is really what the show is designed to do to equip believers to go out and share and defend the gospel and to be able to uh, refute these philosophies that come against the kingdom of God. And so with that being said, let's continue the second part of our series on the universe next door. We have with us today Dr. Richard Weichart. He is the Emeritus Professor of History at California State University, Stanislaus. He has authored a number of books, such as Hitler's Ethic, The Nazi Pursuit of Evolutionary Progress, The Death of Humanity in the Case for Life, and his most recently published book, Darwinian Racism, How Darwinism Influenced Hitler, Nazism, and White Nationalism. Dr. Weichart, thank you so much for joining, joining us today. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having us, having me on. Absolutely. And and so are you living, I, I would assume, over in California? Yes, I'm still in California. Okay. I've I've never been, but we're going up next month to visit my sister in the Los Angeles area. So I'm I'm pretty excited. I've never been west of Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, I'm in central California, so a little bit north of LA. Okay. Well, quite a bit north of LA. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are we're currently in a series in which we're basically demonstrating the myth of Darwinism, not only from a biblical and scientific standpoint, but we are also highlighting the fact that there are many implications of Darwinism uh, that have that Darwinism has on history and on our current lives. And of course, you've written extensively on Nazi Germany and on the impact. Uh, that Darwinism has had on Hitler and his philosophies. And so I think it would be most helpful if we start by describing the link between racism and Darwinism and then sort of moving into the link between Hitler and Darwinism. So first things first, what should the average person know about the relationship between racism and the Darwinian theory of evolution that they more than likely won't be told when being taught about Darwinism? Well, Darwin, from the very start when he was formulating his evolutionary theory, was thinking about human evolution. And one of the things that had to happen in order for him to get his theory off the ground was he had to show that there was lots of variation within species. 
And for the human species, the way he did that was by drawing upon racism, pre-existing racism. Darwin didn't invent racism. Right. But there were, he drew upon racism as a way to try to prove his theory. So he thought that the fact that different races were, in his view and in the view of many other Europeans, at different intellectual levels, even different moral levels – that this showed huge variation within the human species and thus was a an evidence for his theory of human evolution. And in The Descent of Man, he makes this very clear, and he even claims that uh, these races uh, are – and this is uh, taking things a little step further – he was going to claim that these races are locked in an uh, struggle for existence, uh, and that this struggle for existence is going to result in the extermination of the unfit races, and then the uh, survival and reproduction of those that he considered the more fit ones, which of course he thought was the Europeans. So, for those who say, you know, Darwin may have been racist because there were so many racists at that time, uh, but that doesn't disqualify his theory and study, that claim won't fly because we're not talking about just a personal flaw of Charles Darwin. We are talking about an evil that results necessarily from his theory. Yes, it was integrated into the theory very clearly. And again, not only the idea of races being unequal, which we call racism, but also the notion of racial extermination. So he even took it a step further and was justifying genocide. Uh, in fact, he was looking at European imperialism, which was taking place during his day, and he was seeing that the Australian Aborigines, the uh, Maori in New Zealand, uh, the uh, People's uh, the the uh, excuse me the Native Americans were being exterminated by the Europeans, and he thought that this was a simply a natural phenomenon, part of the natural struggle for existence, and that this would bring about progress uh, to the human species as the so-called fit races were exterminating the unfit races. So his his uh, I guess his knowledge of Darwinism and and what you had mentioned had caused him to think that exterminating certain races was actually a good thing for humanity. Yeah, he thought it was going to bring about biological progress. I mean, he looked at it just the way that he looked at uh, other species uh, of organisms where uh, ones that were weaker or sicklier or whatever had less were less able to survive and reproduce would simply uh, be die out, and the ones that were more fit, that were more able to survive and reproduce, would continue to thrive uh, and to reproduce. And then he thought that this because the variations he thought in the races were different, he thought that this would work with the humans uh, as well. And so this is, again, integrated into his very theory. It's not just some some part of his personal, you know, he's not just that he was personally racist, it's that his theory was racist. And not only that, but Darwinists that came after Darwin, very interestingly, were going to use Darwinism, they were going to sort of flip things around. Darwin used racism as evidence for his theory, Darwinists after Darwin, once Darwinism became established as the accepted uh, biological theory, uh, evolutionists were claiming that Darwinism proved racism, uh, especially in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, because they said if Darwinism is true, then there has to be lots of variation within species, uh, and therefore race is just one of those variations that we see. Yeah, and of course, this is sort of uh, this is sort of implicit in just the idea of uh, the theory of evolution in general, because to su- to suggest that any creature evolved to where we are now, 
And then to suggest that every race evolved exactly the same, that just wouldn't even be logical if Darwinism were true. No, it isn't. And so there's two levels, you know, uh, of, of course, the variation that uh, Darwin was talking about, uh, variation within populations and variation between different species or or subspecies. And by the way, Darwin did claim that he thought, even though Darwin thought that human races were still part of the same species, he did claim that they were subspecies, and he thought that given enough time, they could develop into different directions uh, uh, over a long enough period of time. But yeah, it's implicit in the idea that there has to be massive amounts of variation within uh, the species. Now, of course, Darwinists today will point out that, well, that doesn't mean that one's, one uh, race is more valuable than the other. But the, uh, interestingly, if you take Darwin in, in its naturalistic uh, perspective, there's not value to any uh, species. They're all, we're all just the product of uh, random mutations and, and uh, processes that have happened. So in, in essence, yeah, you're not saying Darwinism, naturalistic forms of Darwinism can't say that one uh, – variation or race is superior to another, but they can't claim that they any of them have value beyond just being a accidental, you know, cosmic accident, really. And that's actually, I think, a perfect segue into this question, um, which has a little bit to do with animal rights. You, you talked a little in your book, uh, The Death of Humanity, about animal rights being more about degrading man than having to do with actually being considerate of animals. Now, of course, if Darwinism were to be true, we are animals. And in fact, on page 35 of The Death of Humanity, great book, by the way, uh, for those of you listening, uh, you quoted Buchner, who was a main proponent of Darwin's theory, and said Buchner enunciated a non-Darwinian theory of evolution already in his book Force and Matter, before he knew anything about Darwin's theory, and in many of his writings, he taught that humans are not the special creation of God, but rather a natural product like every other creature, arising purely from naturalistic processes. And you end this section by pointing out brilliantly that Buchner sees the death of many and the innumerable piles of corpses um, as history, as a necessary part of evolutionary progress. Now, where does one such as Buchner or other proponents of this idea, where do they get the idea of progress in a system apart from God and apart from an ultimate purpose to progress toward? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's one of the great inconsistencies within a lot of the uh, worldviews of many of the Darwinists. Because, and Darwin himself was conflicted over this very issue. Uh, Darwin, in his notebooks one time, uh, made a comment about, you know, not talking about higher and lower organisms because there's nothing higher and lower uh, to talk about. It's just there. It's just different variations. Uh, and higher and lower only makes sense if there's progress or if there's uh, some teleology. But you read The Origin of Species or you read The Descent of Man, and he does talk about higher and lower organisms, and he does <laughs> right. uh, talk about progress and such. And so Darwin himself was conflicted over this very issue. He denies teleology on the one hand, but on the other hand, he somehow does think that there's something higher and lower. Uh, and Buchner and many others also, I think, are living that same inconsistency. And I think it's part of it, partly an inconsistency because their worldview doesn't make sense, and they're trying to make sense out of it. Uh, and many people like today are talking about the animal rights activists and such like that. I think a lot of animal rights activists do have somehow inside themselves this understanding that that organisms do matter, that there is value to them. I mean, you know, from my 
own perspective, you know, thinking from a Christian perspective, when God created the animals, he said, it's good. You know, after he stepped back, he said, this is good, the creation that he made. And when he looked, when he created humans, uh, he said, it's very good. So uh, humans and other creatures do have value. And as Christians, we don't think that we're not claiming that animals don't have value. They do have value. Uh, but animal rights and animal rights actors somehow in their hearts realize that organisms have value. And they realize that humans have value too. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, they get twisted in their mentalities about that and start trying sometimes to fight against the idea that humans have more value than humans. And that's, excuse me, humans have more value than other organisms. And that's where they get into trouble, it seems to me. Uh, there's a, a a evolutionary biologist at the University of Texas named Eric Pianca, uh, who's very much into animal rights, and uh, he's very much campaigning against what he calls anthropocentrism. That's the idea that humans, that we center our views on humans. Uh, and he's made comments like he thinks that 90% of it would be, excuse me, he thinks that it would be good if 90% of the human species were uh, annihilated. Now, he's not saying let's go out and do that. Right, uh, but he's saying that that would be a good thing, you know, if ninety percent of the human species were destroyed, because then that would make you know other other species would then be able to thrive all the better. Yeah, and that's a really a couple of really good points there, and that's something that I, I'd mentioned before the interview, before we started. But that's something I think your work does a very good job at pointing out is the implications of Darwinism that so many ignore. They try to just look at it as a scientific theory, which I think it fails at anyway, but they don't look at the implications of this. Uh, And that was such a good point you made that humans are created in the image of God. Paul says in Romans that the law is written on our hearts, uh, even those who do not know Christ. So we know right from wrong. We know that animals have value. We know that people have value. And of course, this is not allowed in a, a secular framework of the Darwinistic worldview. Now, um, in your chapter titled Created from Animals in the same book, I wanted to laugh because you had mentioned a campaign that PETA had started comparing KFC and chicken farmers to that of the Jews in concentration camps. And my first thought is, what a ridiculous comparison. And the second thought is, my goodness, these people are actually serious. And this is this is what Darwinism leads to. In, in the Darwinian framework, there is no difference between a man being slaughtered and a chicken being slaughtered. And the further hypocrisy is if we keep going down this line, well, PETA is also guilty of, even as a vegetarian, of breaking celery off of a stalk and allowing it to die, of washing their hands and, and killing bacteria. And this sounds ridiculous, but this is the implication of Darwinism. And, and all this to say, you had pointed out on page 50 that, ironically, the Nazi perpetra- perpetrators of the Holocaust and PETA shared the same mistake. They assumed humans and animals are basically the same. Now, can you expand on this very crucial statement and sort of contrast that with the view that humans are created in God's image? Yeah, well, if the Darwinian account, if a naturalistic Darwinian account is correct, then we're just the product of random mutations and the cosmic laws and the universal laws. Uh, And so there isn't anything that would give value to that. And there are some people that uh, recognize this. Uh, again, a lot of people recognize deep in their hearts that that's not really true. Uh, but I mean, people like Peter Singer, who's uh, one of the most famous bioethicists in the world, he's got an endowed chair at Princeton University. Uh, he is a very big animal rights activist too. We're talking about this animal rights issue. Uh, and Singer 
uh, argues, based on Darwinian theory, and he make, he's very plain that he believes that Darwinism is the basis for his view that um, human life does not, as humans does not necessarily have value. But even Singer, again, gets into this inconsistency because he thinks that rationality and certain traits that humans have do have value. Uh, and here's where he gets into trouble. Uh, uh, because he doesn't have any basis for that either, because rationality itself would simply be a product of mindless processes. And so he doesn't have a, a, a foundation uh, for that either. So uh, while Singer's philosophy is miles apart from Nazism, in fact, Singer comes from a Jewish family, uh, so he certainly doesn't uh, share in Hitler's ideology. In fact, Singer's family was persecuted. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, there's this notion of devaluing human life based on Darwinism that does show have some commonality. That's a really good point. And, and you had mentioned that even logic and rationality really can't be grounded. Uh, and this is something, when I get in discussions with atheists or specifically Darwinists, um, most of the time when I bring that up, I say, well, how do you ground the logic that you and I both know we're using for this discussion? They'll usually say, well... Uh, over time, I observe what's true and what isn't, and so on and so forth. The issue is you're using your logic and your rationality to observe those instances. And so can rationality and logic be grounded apart from God in a Darwinian uh, framework? That's a great question. In fact, Darwin himself wrestled with that. And at one point, I think it's in his autobiography, if I recall correctly, uh, he, ma he made a comment about how we could trust our minds if we are just the product of these mindless processes. Uh, and it's, it's a great question. And, and again, I think you're right. I think the answer is no. We, that if the Darwinian account is correct, then our minds are just things to help us to uh, survive and reproduce. And they're not about telling us anything that's true about the universe. And so in that sense, uh, we can't trust them in, except in as much, I mean, they could be just giving us illusions to help us survive and reproduce, you know. That. So in fact, interestingly, uh, Michael Roos and Edward O. Wilson have actually said, not in relation to rationality, but in relation to morality, they've actually said morality is an illusion fobbed off on us by our genes to get us to cooperate. Wow. So they're saying that that element of our mental uh, thinking, our morality, is actually just an illusion. It's just to help us so that we can get our genes into the next generation. Uh, and the same thing would be true of our rationality in other respects as well, although Roos and Wilson have never said that, and I don't think they're willing to say that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And unfortunately, that's that's pretty consistent, at least with their worldview. Um, I don't know if you'd seen many years ago, Sam Harris had debated William Lane Craig on objective morality, and he had pointed out that when you're, when you're trying to ground uh, morality in societal convention, and you're calling it objective, you're actually just redefining what objective morality is. You're not saying something actually is right or wrong. You're just saying that most people agree on this, and so we go along with it. But you can't actually, uh, with that logic, you can't actually say a child being abused is wrong. You can't say somebody being kidnapped and made a slave is, slave is wrong. You can only say it's unprofitable 
Or, as you pointed out, an illusion. Yeah, nor can you say that Hitler was right or wrong. And I've actually talked to people, and since I've done work about Hitler and everything, I, I do it on occasion. When I talk with people who embrace evolutionary ethics, I will pose that question to them sometimes. You know, was Hitler right or wrong? And I've had a, on a couple of occasions. In fact, in 2009, I was at a conference uh, on the 150th anniversary of the uh, Darwin's Origin of Species. It was a conference about Darwinism. And I was talking with a philosophy student, he was a graduate student in philosophy, who embraced evolutionary ethics, and I asked him about, was Hitler right or wrong? And he said, well, no, we can't really say Hitler was wrong, he said. He said, I don't like what he, I don't like Hitler and what he stood for, but he said, really, objectively, there's nothing, you know, wrong about what Hitler did. So, you know, that's where we left when you have this kind of uh, mentality. Yeah, and, and of course, as someone could logically argue with this, uh, with Darwinism in mind, Hitler was really, uh, according to natural selection, he may have been doing the right thing in a Darwinian framework because he's trying to purify the human race in a way that he sees fit. And unfortunately, he was successful at it for a little while. And so that just turns into an even bigger mess. Yeah, and that's one thing that really concerns me too because, again, my, my book on Darwinian racism uh, is looking largely – most of the chapter – the first chapter looks at Darwin and racism, and then the, the next several chapters look at the Nazi period and their school curriculum. I look at their university, the biologists at the universities. I look at uh, Nazi propaganda and how they use Darwinism. Uh, but the one thing that concerns me is that uh, although Hitler was starting out with many wrong presuppositions, and not all of those presuppositions are very widespread today, there is a certain logic. Once you buy into some of those presuppositions, once you buy into some of the fundamental ideas that Hitler had, uh, there is a logic that takes off after that. And that's, I think, why white nationalism today is still, uh, even though it's a fringe movement in the United States, I think it does still enjoy some measure of acceptance, again, among this fringe groups, because there is, once you buy into some of the wrong ideas that Hitler had about the Darwinian struggle for existence, about inequality of races, uh, and things like that, once you buy into some of those basic presuppositions that he has, then there's a certain logic that takes over, and the, and the logic actually works, again, if you buy into the false uh, presuppositions that he starts with. Um, and as we had already touched on with racism, in, in the Christian worldview, racism is detestable because we're, we're putting down the image of God. But in the, the secular worldview, and specifically in Darwinism, it, go for it. I mean, that you believe survival of the fittest? Well, then let's see who's least fit. Now, many have tried to claim that Hitler was a Catholic or a Christian, and you you often hear that argument brought up when someone is highlighting the effects that secularism secularism has had on the world in the last century or so, especially. Um, and obviously, this is not a valid claim based on the fruit of the Spirit alone, looking at Hitler, but where did this claim come from, and why is it so commonly appealed to? Well, Hitler, of course, was uh, baptized as a Catholic as a baby. Uh, he was confirmed as a Catholic, although there actually is some evidence that he was kind of reluctant to even go through his confirmation process. Uh, as a teenager and young man, though, he never attended Mass. Uh, and during his time in office, he never attended Mass except for some funeral Masses uh, of individuals. Uh, so he was not a religious individual. And he was, of course, a political chameleon in that he tried to appeal to people, including Catholics and Protestants, 
uh, by not trying to alienate them over religion. In fact, he actually says this in Mein Kampf, in his book Mein Kampf. He actually says that we need to make sure we don't alienate people over religion. He says that was a mistake that this Austrian politician that he knew about had made. Uh, but if you look at his private uh, utterances, if you look like at Rosenberg's diaries, Goebbels' diaries, uh, the monologues that he did uh, and such, it's very clear that he was intensely anti-Christian, uh, hated Christianity, and saw it as a horrible thing because he opposed Christian teachings about morality, specifically that we should help the weak and help the sick and such. Hitler very strongly opposed those ideas. Uh, and when he did make positive comments about, say, Jesus, which he did on a few occasions, uh, he you portrayed Jesus as a fighter. In fact, he, his favorite Bible story was Jesus taking the whip to the Jews, right? So he, And he plays that up that, you know, Jesus was opposed to the Jews, according to uh, Hitler. Of course, Hitler actually did not believe that Jesus was a Jew. A lot of anti-Semites, and by the way, none of these ideas are original with Hitler. He took these ideas from a lot of other anti-Semitic thinkers before his time. But there are a lot of anti-Semites that did not think that Jesus was a Jew. And so they, they looked up to Jesus as being this great anti-Jewish figure who took the whip to the Jews and ultimately got killed by the Jews for his opposition to of the Jews. So we had this really twisted, warped view of who Jesus was. But he thought that Christianity had got off the rails from the very beginning, and he very intensely uh, criticized the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half the New Testament, uh, because he thought Paul was just a sneaky rabbi, Jewish rabbi, who snuck all these insidious ideas into uh, Christianity. So Hitler basically believed that Christianity had gone off the rails from the time of the first century with Paul and, and such, and so he did not uh, accept uh, Christianity in the slightest. And by the way, I've written an entire book about Hitler's religion, just called Hitler's religion, wow. uh, in which I argue that Hitler was a pantheist. He wasn't an atheist. Mm -hmm. uh, he criticized, in fact, the communists for being atheistic, but he was a pantheist. He believed that, he believed that nature was God. And the reason that's so uh, significant in relation to the Darwinism is that he thought that because nature is God, he thought that nat nature's laws, and he thought the Darwinian struggle for existence was one of those laws, should... Uh, determine what is good and moral in the world. And so he thought what is moral is to advance the Darwinian struggle for existence, to uh, advance the human species, and it, and by advancing the human species, he meant getting rid of those that were unfit in the Darwinian struggle for existence. So he thought he was helping evolution out by exterminating the Jews, exterminating the Slavs, and other races that he considered unfit, as well as by killing people who were disabled. There were 200,000 Germans uh, who were disabled who were killed during World War II as well by the Nazis. Wow. Now, do you think that, uh, with that in mind, do you think most Nazis, uh, do you think they did what they did going against their conscience, or do you think that most of them believed eugenics and, and purifying the human race, so to speak, was the right thing to do? I, I've read a little bit about... Uh, people suggesting that Hitler was doing what he did in part because he was reacting to what the people wanted. He was feeding off the crowd to determine his direction, so to speak. Is there any credibility to that? And do you think that the Nazi soldiers, uh, of course, we have some accounts of knowing uh, certain soldiers thought that what they were doing was wrong and carried it out anyway. But do you think that this was this was common? Well, the ideas that Hitler was putting forward were uh, fairly widespread within certain circles. They were not, the majority of Germans didn't embrace 
all of the ideas. In fact, when Hitler started okay. killing disabled Germans, uh, there was a lot of pushback, and Hitler actually did shut down uh, his killing centers that he'd set up to kill people with disabilities because of German public opinion, which was against that. Uh, I should say at the same time, though, that Hitler kept the killing program going. They just decentralized it and just made it more secret and harder to for Germans to find out about. Uh, so a lot of this was coming from the top, from Hitler. A lot of his aides, though, there were a lot of physicians and such who were on board. Uh, there were psychiatrists and uh, medical personnel who were uh, helping in those euthanasia centers uh, who were fully uh, embracing the Nazi view of that. So there were plenty of willing helpers uh, there. But that's not to say that the that – the, uh, you know, German population as a whole embraced all of these ideas and was willing to go along with them. Now, considering that the Holocaust was was less than a hundred years ago, and of course there are still some survivors, so it's not it's not as though this is some ancient past. Uh, but do you think that there is a danger that something like the Holocaust could be repeated as a result of following certain ideologies without being educated of what they're rooted in or even what they are? And of course, I'm not asking you to, to predict or prophesy a second Holocaust, uh, but do you think that there's a, a cause for danger um, considering how prevalent Darwinism still is today, considering the way, for example, even our current culture seems to be have been so easily herded into dividing one another into groups based on race, gender, wealth, and so on. Um, do you think there's a danger here that good research and, and knowing history might be able to eliminate? Well, I don't think we're going to go th- about it in the same kind of ways. I don't think it's, I don't I don't know if the parallels are going to be uh, that strong, but I do think the influence sure. of Darwinism on thinking does have capacities to bring about uh, bad outcomes. And I think we're seeing those outcomes, in fact, already uh, in different ways. So when I'm talking about how Darwinism is devaluing human life, you know, in late 20th, early 21st century America, the way that spins itself out is not in uh, uh, killing people with disabilities uh uh, in the way that the Nazis did, you know, gassing them in gas chambers, but we kill them in utero. So, uh, you know, most of the children, 90% of Down syndrome babies are aborted. Uh, and so we devalue people uh, and then use other methods, uh, abortion, infanticide, euthanasia. These are the ways that that this devaluing of human life, I think, has had the biggest impact on the United States and is, is continuing to have an impact on the United States. I um, mean, euthanasia is, uh, excuse me, assisted suicide uh, is increasing in the United States. There are now 10 jurisdictions in the U.S., including California, where I am, uh, that allow assisted suicide. Uh, and part of the Again, there's complex reasons for these. It's not, I'm not saying this is all because of Darwinism, okay? It's not, Darwinism is the only issue here. But it is one issue among others that devalues human life and makes people think that human life is not uh, all that valuable, and so we can dispense with it one way or the other. And we may be discriminating against different people than the Nazis did. We're discriminating against babies before they're born. We're discriminating against people who have uh, terminal illnesses. We're discriminating against people who uh, may be mentally ill uh, and such. In fact, in Canada and, and Netherlands and places, they're euthanizing people with mental illnesses now too, not just physical illnesses, not just terminal illnesses and such. So we're discriminating against different categories of people, but still there's that discrimination that's going on, and it's resulting in the death of people even today. 
Yeah, so so eugenics, of course, we saw it in the Holocaust and, and so on and so forth. I've done an episode in the past, uh, maybe I'll link in the description, about Margaret Sanger of Planned Parenthood, the founder of Planned Parenthood, being influenced by uh, Darwin and the eugenics there. And so you just gave some examples, but eugenics eugenics is still largely being carried out today in different ways. Yeah, it's a lot of it is being carried out more on a individual basis rather than a government imposed basis. In fact, one time I was given a talk at a university and someone challenged me on this by saying, "Well, you know, we don't have eugenics today because, you know, the government's not imposing itself upon people." And my response to that was, "Well, people are still being killed, you know, <laughs> whether you whether it's the government imposing it or whether it's individual based. In fact, the fact that it's being done in a mass scale on an individual basis actually might be worse than it being imposed by a government. And that means it's got even more broad uh, public approval and uh, people have even less moral qualms about it. Uh, so, yeah, we still do have eugenics with us. A lot of it's being taken care of, taken care of through abortion, uh, through amniocentesis and abortion uh, and such. Uh, and, but infanticide is also being pushed by a lot of bioethicists today, in, in part as a eugenics measure. That is a measure to try to improve human heredity and keep us from having ment- people with hereditary illnesses of various sort. Sure. Now, uh, yeah, and, and we uh, we are not shy about abortion. We're actually going to be doing a couple episodes about that in our next series coming up here. But what do you think, uh, just before we kind of wrap this up, uh, what do you think that is the the biggest danger, I guess, in terms of Darwinism, in terms of eugenics? What do you think is the danger that we face today and what can we do about it? Well, there's a couple of things. And one, one thing in my book that I point out is that, that we still do have, although a fringe movement of white nationalists and, and uh, alt-right, sometimes they're called, uh, people who based on their Darwinian view of reality, uh, argue for racism and such. So that is still something to be concerned about, although, again, it's not uh, – it's it is still a fringe movement and hopefully stays that way or even reduces to nothing obviously is what i'd like to see happen uh so that's one kind of danger the other kind of danger i think i've already pointed to and that is that we end up devaluing human life in other kinds of ways and you know categorizing people based on their characteristics uh if they don't you know such as the way Peter Singer categorizes people. So if they don't have a certain level of rationality that they don't qualify as a person anymore. Uh, So I think that's uh, some of the biggest concerns uh, that I have at this point. Well, thank you so much for that. And and if someone were to go and order one of your books, uh, where should they start? And is there a website we can suggest and maybe put in the the episode description? Uh, Yeah, the uh, you can order to, to any online bookseller, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Walmart. I think even has it on their website. Uh, the book Darwinian Racism. Uh, my other books, uh, they're all on Amazon. Uh, Death of Humanity and other ones that are important. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's a. Uh, uh, Discovery Institute, who uh, published this book, uh, has a website, uh, darwinianracism.com, that you can go to to find more information about it as well. Awesome. Well, check that out. That'll be linked in the description below. Um, thank you so much again, Dr. Richard Weikart, for joining us. And thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door. Don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. This is the best way 
uh, to get our content out there. And this episode will be a great one to share because it is not often enough that we talk about the implications of Darwinism, the implications that it's necessarily had on history and that it's having on your life right now today. So we need to be knowledgeable about this. And we are going to continue dismantling Darwinism throughout the rest of our series. So look out for new episodes and new content. And thank you so much for listening to The Universe Next Door. 